Welcome to episode 66 of the Flying Podcast. Well, it's been a fine summer for flying here in the UK and most of the air shows and rallies that I've been to have uh, had pretty good weather. And so it was with the Light Aircraft Association rally at Sitewell recently. The LAA rally is predominantly for home-built and uh, older aircraft on the LAA register, but uh, there are other exhibitors there and uh, it's also a popular flying event. This year's events seemed to be pretty busy and uh, it did seem to be uh, a bit more upbeat than in previous years, I have to say. One interesting development was the announcement by the CAA uh, that uh, they were planning to deregulate the sub 300 kilogram single seat microlight market. Uh, that would be after a period of consultation. It's always good to see a bit of deregulation for once. Anyway, uh, I wandered around the show to find out what was new in the world of light aviation. First port of call uh, in the light of this deregulation was Grass Strip Aviation, uh, suppliers of the current SSDR microlight Fokker Eindecker. Uh, and the first person I found there was George uh, Simone, uh, who's been developing a four-stroke V-twin engine. Right, George, uh, you're uh, again an engine development man. That's right, at uh, Grass Strip Aviation. Um, we have now got the first prototype, the 30 horsepower Brighton Stratton. We haven't run the engine yet because uh, we were waiting for parts to build it um, and it was too quick to, before the show. So hopefully by popping we'll have some, uh, some figures on the engine. And um, I'm also in the process of designing and building my own dynamometer so that I can actually measure the horsepower and don't pluck a figure out of the air, you know, yep. and people know what they're getting. So I think uh, when we met at Popham this year, you were hoping to get to 30 horsepower. And yeah, yeah. Well, 30 horsepower is not difficult on this engine. It's above the 30 horsepower. It means lots of internal changes, different pistons, different conrods, different camshafts, different rockers. You know, so then the price leaps up dramatically. Um, but with the changes afoot to deregulation. Um, it means that we're not restricted, hopefully, to the empty weight. It gives us a bit more scope, whereas we could take this engine, we get 40 horsepower out of this engine, um, but it might be cheaper to go and build the big block Briggs, which is a, a one-litre engine, and that will, that will come in at 40 kilos, so it might be cheaper a route um, for people and for us, you know, okay. rather than hotting up. The smaller engine and also the more power you extract from it the more load you're putting in it and the less reliable it's going to be yeah and that's what we're looking for reliability yeah. well, what's the heritage of this particular engine you've got here all oh, right it's a Briggs and Stratton 23 horsepower Briggs and Stratton and um, we've uh, de-restricted a this is a normally comes with a governor uh, restricts the RPMs and this will allow it to in theory go up to about four three four four um, on the standard camshaft which we want to keep because it has a decompressor built in which means that you can use a smaller starter motor right and keeps the cost down uh, different head gaskets uh, different intake system uh, all to, uh, different timing on it advancing the timing and that all adds up to give us approximately 30 horsepower. So it will be, and horsepower is a, um, yeah, people sell engines on horsepower, but it really is the torque figure, and the torque figure is high on the standard engine. So, mm -hmm. you know, the standard engine puts out the same amount of torque as a Rotax 447, 
and taking the engine up and giving it another seven, eight horsepower, you know, will just be plenty. Be plenty to fly an Eindecker um, and most of the kits that we do in SSTR. That's brilliant. Thank you very much, George. All right. Next up was Robin Morton, also from Grass Strip Aviation, with his thoughts on uh, the deregulation. Right, Robin, uh, first of all, big news today uh, from the CAA. Indeed. Tell me um, a little bit about it's that. Going to, uh, it's going to make a big difference to us. Uh, now they've deregulated all single-seat microlites. It means that the uh, max roll-up weight uh, technically goes up to 300 kilograms. There's no empty weight limit, and we think that they're working to the 25 kilograms per square meter in terms of uh, wing loading. Mm -hmm. um, what it effectively does is it absorbs 115 kilos into it. The sub-115 category effectively disappears. Um, and it means that we're now able to, instead of only being able to offer two kits from the States, uh, we're able to offer at least seven. So it suddenly expands uh, our market tremendously. So and we can have lots of other First World War fighter planes. Lots of other planes. First War fighter planes. And Such as? Well, um, we can certainly do the, uh, the D6 uh, as a three-quarter scale. There's a three-quarter scale uh, Fokker uh, triplane, which would be interesting. Um, and uh, we can do an Airco DH2, that's also uh, one of their kits. Um, and there are, let me have a look at what we've got here. Uh, we can also do a Moran Parasol. Now that was the aircraft that uh, Garros, Roland Garros was flying uh, when he was forced down by engine trouble uh, and they then realised that he was firing his gun directly through the propeller and it led <laughs> to the Eindecker. Yeah. Um, but the Eindecker was rather more successful. Yeah. So we can do the DH2, we can do the Fokker triplane and the Fokker D6, the Eindecker we've already got, uh, and we can do the Moran Parasol. And the other one, of course, is the Blerio. We can now bring in a 75% scale Blerio. Uh, needs a bit of work on it. We're not 100% happy with the wing as it comes over. We'd probably put that wing on it. Uh, but it's a basic aeroplane. They've done all the work on it, and it does look very nice. It, it's like all these things, a little bit of an effort put into it, and you can you can make it you know, yep. a, a very genuine. If you're not happy flying uh, a German triplane, you could. Uh... You can you can fly you can fly us up with triplane as well. And the two I, again, it's one of these things. That, that the history of all of these things is fascinating. Apparently, the Sopwith triplane came out first, and uh, the Germans captured one and thought, "Hey, this is a good idea. We'd best have one of these." Yeah. And they formed the they, they made it into the uh, um, the Fokker triplane. But the Sopwith triplane came first. And the two are a little bit different. The wing shapes and wing areas and things. The triplane's got. Slightly greater area, um, but basically they are much the same aeroplane. Superimpose one on the other, and, and they're not very different. As far as your kit is concerned, they are. As far the as same? the kit is concerned, it will be possible to make one or the other. Um, but we we think probably the the, the Fokker triplane will be the, the the one everybody always says. Oh, I want a Fokker triplane because I can paint it red. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. <laughs> so. Um, that's uh, we're as I said, we're very pleased that we're uh, able to bring in so many more different kits, particularly since the, the centenary of World War One isn't very far away. So your dream um, of so having whole squadrons of uh, well, we're getting not too bad on these. We've got five of these flying now, yeah. and uh, we've got another two in build, um, and. Uh, People have, have always expressed an interest in the Eindecker because it was the first true fighter aircraft. 
and we're very pleased to be able to offer the Echo DH2 now, which was the answer to the Fokker, but around about the other direction. So they never did, the British never did discover how to make the interrupter gear work. So they made pusher aircraft with a fixed gun in the front, and that's what the DH-2 was. Yeah, they had deflectors on the prop, didn't they? They did initially, and that didn't work, and they knew it wasn't going to work, so they made the DH-2. The reason the DH-2 then became far more successful than the Eindecker, because the DH-2 had ailerons and the Eindecker still had wing warping. And when wing warping aeroplane was fighting wing warping aeroplane, the two were fairly well matched. But ailerons were the latest technology. Changed the game. Yeah. Changed the game, totally. And the, out, the Eindecker was immediately outclassed, just couldn't cope. Um, how does this uh, new ruling from the CAA, uh, the weight change, deregulation, how does it change the Eindecker? What, what can you do to it? Uh, the real change to the Eindecker, in all honesty, is that of safety. Uh, one of the things that I, we discovered very early on with this is with those big wheels, um, even in long grass it keeps rolling and it really needed brakes and we had to, it was a big struggle for us to, to save enough weight to be able to put the brakes on now you don't have to worry about that the fact the aeroplane weighs 120 kilos empty is not a problem so from a safety aspect we think it's an excellent idea yep. um, we're very pleased with it it means that that and, and trimmers, tail trimmers and things that make the aeroplane not only more pleasant to fly but by definition they're safer to fly. Yeah. Um, it, it can't be bad, it, it, it's got to be a good thing. So yeah, we're very pleased, it will make, it'll make a small difference to the Iron Deck, it just makes it that much easier uh, to make and to put a few things on and a little bit more engine instrumentation again makes it safer, yeah. so we're very pleased. Uh, a little bit more flexibility engine-wise? A little bit more flexibility engine-wise, but I don't think that's going to make a wild difference. One of uh, our, uh, our customers has already got a 50 horsepower Hearth F23 in it, uh, and he thinks it, well, I mean, he takes it up like a, like a homesick engine. He gets over a 1,000 feet a minute out of it. We get about 650 feet a minute out of this but he's getting about 1,000 feet a minute, just under. So, um, yeah, any, anything bigger I don't think would be, uh, would be a great deal of point. But if you happen to have a Rotac 447 stuffed away in your garage, um, not doing anything, it was difficult to get a 447 in this and get the weight right. Now you don't have to worry. Put a 447 in, it'll still be under the uh, microlight limit. So, yeah, I'm very pleased. Good. Uh, how do you think it'll change the SSDR market? Well, the SSDR market will effectively disappear uh, as such. Uh, quite what a difference it'll make to other people deciding that they're going to build a single-seat microlite, I don't know. Single-seaters of any sort in this country have never been terribly popular. Um, and um, I, I, I'm not sure what, how much difference it will make, other than the fact that we can now offer more than we could before. Yep. Um, but other than that, I don't know, time will tell. I mean, this is, this is literally, it's only been announced today, so uh, we haven't, uh, we'll, we'll, need, we'll need all weekend for uh, people to come and, and have a look at the website and, and see what's there. Brilliant. Well, thanks again, Robin. Not at all, delighted to talk to you. Best of luck with the show. Well, yes, thank you very much. Graeme Smith from Sprite Aviation was displaying the Groppo Trail and the Zigolo SSDR motor glider. So I caught up with him for uh, news of current developments. 
the the trail which was going to be a micro light you've seen out parked out in the uh, the one we mentioned at Popham the, yeah, the nose wheel it's um it's overweight and we've made the decision not to persevere with it because I think the amount of engineering time it would need to straighten it out is way beyond uh, what it would be worth in terms of having it as a viable microlike. Um, we're not getting many inquiries from microlike guys about the tailwheel and I think as soon as you go nose wheel you're adding even more weight you're making an even bigger obstacle for yourself so for the time being anyway that won't be On happening. Um, we have got the trail side by side coming in October now the, the factory tell me they've lightened the fuselage by six kilos so we're waiting to see whether that's viable uh, it'll be some time really before we know a side by side nose wheel uh, I think we're only going to bring the nose wheel in I think which is quite strange really because on the tandem we've only bought the tail wheel in yeah. so it could be that it all swaps round uh, I mean we haven't specifically said we wouldn't bring a nose wheel in. it's just no one's ordered one we've sold 19 tail wheels and zero nose wheels so the kit comes you can ready build to it you can build it either way yeah. yeah there are no options on the kit you buy a kit you can you build it either way okay so and obviously you've got your, your Zigolo here which we've yeah. not seen before I'm very pleased with this we only got this eight days ago so we've been working pretty hard on it to get it to this stage I think it's complete absolutely easy to build it start to finish in three weeks I think uh, you could do it quite at quite a leisurely pace and have it flying in three weeks. It's been great to build. Everything's fitted. We've had no issues uh, with... We've asked for clarification on some of the drawings. That's really about it. And um, so far, all the parts have been there. We've had a dummy wing, which is for the show, because we haven't built the wings yet. Yep. The wings are the next job. Or the wings are the last job, because the rest of it's done. Uh, we're still waiting for the propeller to come, so that's probably the last item. And... Um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I really Looks, uh, quality engineer. Uh, it's nice. I mean, if you look at the parts, every single part has got the part number engraved on it. Yep. Even the tubes. The tubes, everything is anodized uh, post-production. So post-manufacture, it's been anodized. So we haven't worried too much about, about corrosion, although we've used a little bit of ACF-50 on the joints and things. Um, apart from the f uh, flying surfaces, which... You can't really anodize these because it impairs the fabric adhesion. Ah, right. So these aren't anodized, which is why they have a, a different look about them. Yep. Um, again, you can see all the uh, part numbers are engraved, which is a, a big help when you're searching through a thousand parts. <laughs> uh, it, it, people seem to like the look of it. I think we really need to get it flying. Yes. We've got some starter kits here as well, which allow you to build a rudder. Yeah. And um, I'm hoping we've sold a couple of those. I'm hoping we'll sell all of them. I'm sure we will over the weekend. Um, and uh, it'd be nice to see a few of these around. Uh, I, I haven't really thought yet about how we... The Microlite guys all seem to know about this mm -hmm. and they know what it is and they know what it will do. But the people who are interested in gliding, it's a complete, uh, it's a complete mystery to them. So we need to think about how we can introduce gliding people and maybe... Um, Maybe there's a, a, a market there for, you know, for people who want a cheap little glider that they can go and ridge saw or that they can go and thermal on a nice day. Uh, when are you thinking of getting it up in the air? Uh, well, I've got, I've got other things to do next week, otherwise it will be finished next week. Um, but I think I've got a week of test flying to do, which has caught up with me because uh, I've been busy for the last month getting the trail ready for the show and getting this done. So I think probably three weeks we'll have this flying. 
and then we need to get it round to some magazines and get some uh, flight reviews done on it so that people can... It's important with a single-seater that people do read flight reviews because they can't really get a chance to fly it. Yeah. So it, I, it, I, I'm sure that, you know, you're going to find this is a very stable machine. You'll be able to let go of the stick and, you know, which mm -hmm. a lot of SSDRs you can't do that with. You know, they haven't got the stabilities that make them suitable for for any pilot and I'm hoping that we'll be able to say that anyone who can fly a plane can fly this because yep. it's got that inbuilt stability and I, I really want to get the flight reviews done so that we can show that uh, and it's not going to scare the life out of anyone yep. so that's important and um, that's really the job we need to get that done before the weather deteriorates yes, so, uh, you know we've probably got another month of reasonable weather so I'm really going to try my best to get that done Great stuff. okay thank you very much yeah you're welcome Next up was Malcolm Stewart of Red Air, importers of the C-42 Icarus aircraft. Red Air, what's new? Well, the real news, I suppose, this week is that we finally got approval for the, um, the tug version of the C-42. Uh, we're quite excited about it because it's the first time that a microlite at 450 kilograms, or in this case 472, because we're using it on the parachute version, uh, has been approved to tow full-size gliders as a factory-built aircraft. Mm -hmm. So we're getting a lot of uh, interest from the flying clubs, uh, well, more of the glider flying clubs, because they can use it not just for a tug, but they can also use it for microlight flight training and for hire, because mm -hmm. the other benefit of a factory built, they can be hired out to club members. So we get a lot of interest from that. So compared to the other 912 engined aircraft, uh, tug aircraft out there at the moment, they can't be used for that because they're kit-built aircraft. Mm -hmm. So the, uh, the type approved status, which is the difference, I think, between a type accepted is kit built. Type approved means it can be used for what they call aerial work. Uh, it gives us a lot of advantages. And you get a, the clubs don't necessarily head really around to put one together. Uh, and uh, you just get it eight, ten weeks after you've ordered it. You've got a new aircraft, which has got, we call it multi role. It sounds a bit uh, military. It does. <laughs> <laughs> like a typhoon. A typhoon, yeah. yeah. Typhoon's a military. Yeah. So we've got a, a multi role C 42 now with. Uh, uh, training, hire, and glider tow capabilities. And, uh, Brilliant. So, yeah, in fact, the actual mods to, the, to make it tow were to fine pitch the prop, um, obviously fit the tow hook on, but fine pitching the prop gave us another problem in the end because we still have a little bit of talking to do. We've got the actual approval as far as the, um, the strength tests were concerned, the flight tests, all been done. Ben's given me all the information on that. The last little bit is down to the CEA on the noise test because we need to be fine pitched it which means the revs are higher so the original noise certificate goes out of the window um, but the benefits of the finer pitch is where Comco said they, were, they should, all aircraft should be but they're not because of noise the difference in performance is staggering yeah. that climbs like a rocket it does 105 knots okay the revs are high but it gets there quickly it climbs at an unbelievable angle one up and half fuel I keep thinking I can't be at this angle. <laughs> I leave one of those aerobatic things on the on the wingtips oh, yeah, over yeah. the 45 degree angle. Yeah. I'm sure I'm going up exactly 45 degrees, and it just stays there at 65 knots. Yeah. My hands off. I'm going to take my hands off, and it keeps going up forever. I've had momentarily 1,900 feet in a, a thermal assisted. You know, this is constant speed, so yeah. I'm not deliberately zoom climbing or anything. Mm -hmm. 1,900, nearly 2,000 feet a minute. But I think that was a bit of a thermal going yeah, through. Yeah. But it's uh, it, it's staggering the performance but that isn't real for normal aircraft yeah, because you have to comply with the noise regulations. But luckily on the noise side, the reason why I've, we've prematurely announced it, if you like, the last conversation I had with uh, the noise certificate man at the CEA, who's a, almost a friend, if you can have any friends in the CEA. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's a good guy. And uh, he said that uh, uh, I pointed out to him that a slightly bigger prop 
is already approved and it's a fully available in-flight variable pitch prop well the bigger to me I'm going back to my I've got a degree in engineering but it was a long while ago and I'm not sure noise was on the agenda even then but to me the bigger it is and certainly the higher revving it is the more noise potentially it can make um, but there is already approved a slightly bigger prop which is in-flight adjustable and that can rev to 5.6 which is higher than that prop is so if it's already approved at 5.6 with the bigger blade then surely there can't be a problem with a slightly smaller pitch at a yeah. slightly, uh, slightly smaller diameter at a, yeah. a coarser pitch so lower rev so he, he did agree so I haven't got the piece of paper yet but we've announced it anyway because so, <laughs> that, that, that is not going to be a problem so yeah we're quite pleased uh, took a while because we started at November I actually got Ben together with Comco engineer was over at the time guy that uh, bought a tow kit at, uh, C42 six years ago which is when it first started through Aerosport and they did 90% of the work but never quite finished it before they ceased trading so we took that 90% and we've only got our 10% to it and we'll be there even that took 18 months you know, and an awful lot of flight testing and I made a mistake halfway through because I was saying well hang on a minute there's 45 of these things flying around the world and they're already as tugs mostly in Europe probably all in Europe actually uh, but then recently, when we put that press together, I just said, oh, I can add a little bit about, we can now add the UK to the 45 flying all the way around. Gave it a Comco for their comments, because it was like a joint press release almost. And they said, uh, where's the 45 come from? It's actually 105, it's probably 108, 105 was the beginning of this year. We sold two or three this year to France and Sweden and a few places. So he said, you're probably up to 110 now. So I thought 110 already flying around, but we had to go through a lot of hoops just to prove that it, the UK air it's different somehow to European air and we yeah. have to prove that it Don't still works so no <laughs> no I'm not but uh, no but we did eventually get there but it was just frustrating all the while no, are you really. familiar with the uh, the flight of Icarus guys that were doing the altitude attempt in, in Greece were you, yeah, anything yeah, to do with that very because we, we helped them a bit and uh, we put them in touch with Comco and we helped with Comco and certainly recommended they did it because they've used the 914 version yeah. which isn't legal in the UK again it's a turbocharged it's a turbocharged 115 horsepower really. Uh, which you need, they would never make the record. The normal, that's 100 horsepower. I've never tried, but you can tell if you're eight, nine thousand feet, I was that some time ago. And the, the climb rate, even on that, which is purpose designed for climbing, is the, yep. the glider to expect version, even that starts to slow down a lot at eight, nine thousand yep. feet. So double that is going to be. Yep. And they were trying for 25,000 feet. Yes. Um, when you read the regulations, uh, to actually qualify uh, to uh, to get a, a microlight to fly uh, to that altitude, it's really a tight envelope, yes, it isn't to be successful. Yes, yes. They, were, they, were, they unfortunately didn't make it because they had a four-day window for the uh, no-tam. It had to be no-tammed over mm. Crete, let everybody know. Uh, the weather on the first day was not suitable. I think they were a day late arriving, but the yeah. first of the days, of the four days they were there to do the attempt, um, they uh, they missed the first day. The second day the weather wasn't brilliant. The second the last two days the no time was cancelled because the military overrode the military doing exercise in the area. Nice. So they had to come back again. But they are going for the attempt again, I believe. They've still got the aircraft. We're trying to get it here actually. I thought we've got enough space to get two aircraft on this time. Anyway, so the uh, they, they've said uh, that they are gonna have another go but in UK airspace this time. Yeah. Would, uh, technically speaking, would an injection engine help you any at altitude? I think it does, yes, because the mixture is more constant or at least the the mixture ratio would be correct but the real problem is is the lack of pressure in the first place yep. yeah the fuel ejection system will monitor it exactly to give just the right amount of fuel for that amount of air but it's the basic problem is there's not enough air in the first place the turbo gets around that by pressurizing the air so the engine thinks that it's a much lower level because it's getting low level air if you like even at high level that's 
That's my basic knowledge of turbos. I think I'm sort of on the right line. I think we've covered that one. <laughs> right, thank you yeah, very much not, again. Yeah, not at all. Thank you. Yeah, hi, I'm Ray Everett of Dragon Aviation, the UK and Southern Ireland agent for Aeropract aircraft. Currently the Foxbat aircraft as Microlight and Group A is, is approved in the UK. Uh, and what do we have here? This is the Foxbat Supersport 600, which is the 600 kilo light aircraft. This one's configured as a glider tug. The Microlight version is 450 kilo and looks identical, although it's made out of slightly lighter weight materials to get it into the empty weight restrictions. Yeah, it's a lovely looking aircraft and one of my favourites, but you don't see many about on the UK market. No, there, there's 40 of them flying at the moment and several hundred worldwide. Um, in the early days, Aeropract was struggling to meet demand, so I could only get two or three a year in um, into the country. Uh, nowadays, they've got several production lines and lead time on a kit is only six to eight weeks. And the Microlite is only kit available as a kit? Yes, the all all types of Foxbat are only kit built although there's no structural work so they're um, very simple to assemble um, anybody with reasonable um, handy skills should be able to do one without any problems and uh, what does it fly like as uh, the microlight it's a very capable aircraft it basically it does what it says on the tin it'll fly out of an 80 meter strip it stalls at 30 knots without flap and cruises at anything up to 100 knots um, you know you, you can get in and out of just about anywhere really excellent visibility yes yeah, so you can see it's um, very well glazed the doors are blown so you can actually look vertically straight downwards from inside and you have um, this aircraft has got the option of smaller windows um, because it's configured as a glider tug the tug pilots tend to be conservative and like things to look solid as opposed to looking out a bit more it's got the 912 s engine is that in all models yes all foxbats have the 100 horse 912 s engine there's a choice of um, three different types of propeller you can have the standard kiev prop this duck wind spoon propeller on the glider tug which is a climb prop or you can have a electrically operated variable pitch prop and are things looking good in the market for you yes it, it's um yeah, it's picking up again after the recession. Um, fortunately, there's enough aircraft around now for people to start seeing them and having an interest in them. And because people that own the aircraft like them, they don't come up for sale very often, which is a good selling point for a new one. Um, but yeah, it's, it's coming along nicely. And with this new generation of Supersports, which have been out for a year now, um, it should breathe a little bit more life into it with a uh, different undercarriage design and the top of the wing on the Group A is skinned in aluminium as opposed to fabric. Yeah, so you, you can be taught to fly in it if you, own, if you own the aircraft you're being taught to fly in or your partner or close relation does, you can, you can be taught to fly in it. Um, realistically, unless you're doing a conversion from the three from a weight shift microlite it's not going to be your first aircraft because uh, it, it's not inexpensive at just under 50,000 um, so you, you, you're going to have very few ab initio pilots yep. buying a plane of this value and then wanting to learn to fly
it would make an excellent club aircraft if we can uh, ever get uh, enough money together to get A1 approval. Mm -hmm. That's a problem. Right, well, thank you very much. You're welcome, thank you. Best of luck at the show. Thank you very much. I found Paul Henry Smith demonstrating the uh, Oritex aircraft covering material, but I wanted to talk about uh, talk to him about the Light Aircraft Company and their recent acquisition of the rights to build the Escapade 2 Microlite. Uh, Paul, tell me a little bit about uh, the Escapade. Escapade. Well, the Escapade Escapade. Um, we have been looking for a quite a long time to uh, add another type to our repertoire. Uh, the Sherwood Range has done very well and sold uh, very well overseas and in the UK and we wanted to add another type in with there uh, to, to consolidate the, the company uh, and in looking around the, the Escapade uh, has achieved uh, 34 um, aircraft on the UK register but uh, we felt it could go a lot further and it seemed to have stalled in the marketplace for various reasons. So uh, over uh, a couple of months we'd been speaking with the, uh, the past owner, Terry Francis, and uh, we'd come up with a sale purchase agreement uh, and basically that encompassed the acquisition of the intellectual property, design rights, copyright um, and all jigs, fixtures, uh, and all chattels relating to the Escapade 2. Terry still remains as uh, the owner and manufacturer of the kid. So we've ended up with an aircraft that fits in quite nicely. It's uh, a rag and tube design as the Sherwood Ranger is, a two-seater which we're, we're very keen on. We feel that people like to go flying with people um, and we also have our, uh, our signature wing fold so uh, it's, it's all come together quite nicely. So you taking on the Escapade was more driven by you looking for an aircraft to fill a, a niche in your company? Yes, if you, if you look at the, the, the current uh, UK market, uh, we have um, our dear friends Pegasus Main Air making weight shift. Uh, we have Medway Microlites. Uh, I don't know where, where Chris is with his production. Uh, we have Europa and the Swift Technologies doing their thing. Um, and then there's our dear selves. Um, I think Thruster is still producing the, the Thruster as a factory-built aircraft. Um, but they, you know we, we've, we're in a, a very diminished marketplace for manufacturers, and we don't want to see uh, manu aircraft manufacturing disappearing in the UK. If anything, we want to promote it. Excellent. Does this SSDR deregulation thing affect you in any way? Um, no. The, SSDR single seat deregulated. I think that the CAA, the, the word is that the CAA are going to deregulate all single seaters. Yep. Um, I think potentially it's a good thing, uh, but I, I have reservations about uh, some people's cavalier attitude with what is acceptable for flight safety. Um, I don't. I've got no problem at all with people doing their own thing. I've got no problem with deregulation as long as they do it in an accountable fashion. Um, it's all well and good flying around in something that you've built or somebody, what somebody else has built, but if it all, if it all turns to a can of worms, uh, it concentrates, concentrates the mind very quickly on, yep. you know, it should have been right. So uh, I guess that's a, that's a concern I have. But we are where we are and yep. we'll see how that develops.
think last time we spoke you had been concentrating on getting the German version up and running. That's all done. Yep, yep. So German. now you've got lots of free time to concentrate on other things, <laughs> like doing the ironing here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're doing, doing the ironing on tomorrow, Tex, here. No, the German, uh, the German uh, Microlite um, has now been approved. It's provisional approval. It's over now for 50-hour fly-off in Germany. Uh, we did about 10 hours flying in the UK with it and found it to be really good. Um, we've had the benefit of um, a personal visit by... Andrew Haynes, the head of the CAA, uh, he was with us a couple of weeks ago, and um, our concern was that we, we would we would have the same sort of institutional person speaking at us and not joining in the conversation with us, and I have to say that is totally 100% opposite of what we found. Andrew Haynes, the head of the CAA now, is a pretty good guy, and he's working to get the institutional um, nature out of the CAA and to deregulate as much as possible and I think possibly even the SSDR the removal of the, the uh, regulations on that for single seater was probably driven by his changes as well. So I'm very hopeful that during our discussions we spoke with uh, Andrew about getting the um, bureaucracy behind A81 approval removed and I'm very hopeful that Andrew's taken that away and he's going to be working on that in the background so factory built microlites can be overseen by the BMAA. So, Sounds good. Yeah, that would be very good. We, you know, That would be such a major shift and allow British manufacturing really to move forward over here. Mm -hmm. uh, anything else you need to tell us about? Um, in, in uh, acquiring the escapade, we've made contact with all of the owners, uh, current owners, and we're delighted with the feedback that we've had. Um, we're delighted with the feedback we've had on the, the performance and the, the uh, flyability of their aircraft. We've also had a, a raft of recommendations come through, or suggestions, uh, for uh, aircraft upgrades, design changes, and we'll be sitting down and, and sort of distilling those to things that we can do. Uh, we also want to add in to the, the repertoire uh, glider tug capability uh, and a, a slightly wider range of engine options. So we'll be progressing forward on that. And we're man manufacturing all this in-house? Yes. We will be uh, we will sub out uh, only laser cutting, which we can't do in house. All the CNC work will be done at Little Snoring. All welding, fabrication, and assembly will be done at Little Snoring as well. And at the moment, would you believe it? We're, we're trying to find our next apprentice, and despite the government rhetoric, we can't find one, which is really sad. It is, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Correct stuff. Right, thank you very much. No problem. And finally, I spoke to Paul Burton of the Swift Aircraft Company. Swift own the Europe uh, kit manufacturing company, and they are now developing a completely new light aircraft. Uh, right, on the stand today, we've got this uh, mock-up of the... Uh, is this called a Swift? It is. The, it's, the, it's the Swift VLA. Um, it's going to be made as a kit plane first, going through to a certified 23 process afterwards. And it's, uh, it's going to be a full aerobatic light aircraft going up to a full powerhouse. Is it based on the Europa in any way? No, no. Um, we acquired Europa a few years ago um, within the group, mainly to save it because it's British aviation. Yep. 
and Swift is a company that has its own plans to make its own aircraft, um, but it's handy to have the knowledge base that Europa has, and uh, there's a lot of know-how and, uh, and processes on the way that we, we can use their information from, so it really is good to have them in, on board. Uh, is this an aircraft you think is going to be sort of taken up by the schools? Yes, well, training schools are very, very interested. The military, especially, uh, we have had contact with the RAF. We've also had overseas military interested. And um, once we get more into the manufacturing process, we should hopefully be taking some orders to replace some fleets that are now becoming obsolete or coming at the, at the end of their lease run. So, uh, and it's what all composite? It is. It's all composite. It's very light. Um, the, the the glass fibre and, and carbon fibre body uh, will be just as strong as anything out there, but obviously much more lighter, which adds to the performance. And uh, the uh, the engine powers that we can put into this are going from 118 horsepower Rotax or Lycomings up to the 260 horsepower engine. So. With that lightness and the power, we should really get some high performance out of the aircraft. Uh, will it be a retractable? No, it's going to be a, a tri-gear uh, system. It's a steerable nose wheel. Um, we can look further down the line as a tail dragger or a, a you know, monowheel uh, retractable system, but for now the, the aircraft is going to be made with a tri-gear system. And when do you think it's coming to market for the, the kit? Well, the, the mouldings should be made at the end of this year, and we'll be able to then fit the interior, get an engine in, start doing some physical testing because everything is currently done with technology. And uh, we're looking to manufacture next year with a release at the end of. And uh, where's the factory? Uh, well, we're mostly based, the design team is based mostly in Norwich and the manufacturing facility that we have with Europa is based in North Yorkshire up at Wombleton Airfield. And we'll be looking to build and manufacture in that area um, but we are also always looking for other facilities or any suppliers that can help with the process. The main thing is to try and keep this all British. This, our aim is to be the next British aircraft that is fully made here. Will it be the only Group A aircraft made in Britain? Well, there, there are kit planes. Once it's fully certified, it will be the first certified kit plane in Britain for 30 or 40 years. And that's really our aim is to have the rebirth of British aviation. That would be nice. Uh, you're also involved in Slingsby, haven't you? You've got a stock of Slingsby Fireflies. We did. We bought uh, a fleet of Fireflies that were uh, needed to just be reconditioned, reserviced, and then brought back into the market. They would have gone. Um, we, we bought 24, I think, and the remaining four or five that we have are the ones that we want to keep. The rest we've sold on, and they're now back in service. Grand. Uh, and what's happening with Europa? Is that still... Europa is still going well. It's... Uh, it's got a good representation here at the show as well and the Europa Club is going very strong too and uh, yes Europa Aircraft is continuing business as usual it's now moved from Kirby Moorside in Yorkshire to Wombleton Airfield and uh, there will be some new developments on the motor glider which has now passed its spin test and so it's getting nearer to coming to market and there are a few interior design changes to the Europa that will be coming out soon as well. Brilliant. The, this being the first show that we've got the, the full scale model here for, uh, we've, we're having a very, very good feedback. Um, people are very happy with, they've always been happy with the design on paper, but until you see it for yourself, it, uh, it never compares. And, and I'm the designer for the, uh, the Swift Group, so for me, seeing this thing built is, is part of my dream come true. The next thing is seeing it flying. Where did you get your inspiration? 
Uh, well, British Aviation. Spitfire-esque. Spitfire-esque on the wings. It's a bit bulldogish on the canopy. Um, it, the length and overall balance is very much like a Firefly. And it's got our own twist on it. The main thing that stands out from the rest of the market is the interior being more like a sports car than a traditional aircraft. And uh, that's, that's our aim, really, is to just take the best of everything on the exterior of an aircraft, do something new with the interior, and bring something to market that no one can compare with. Brilliant. It's good to see something British for once. Yes, it is. Yeah, well, it, it's our aim. It's our, uh, uh, our whole remit from the beginning is let's build the next British aircraft. And we're very excited about it. Great stuff. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Well, thanks to all those folks that took the time to speak to me. Uh, some exciting developments on the UK GA scene uh, at last and especially exciting to see a new aircraft to be built in the UK. Don't forget you can help support the podcast by clicking on some of the links on the Flying Podcast website at flyingpodcast.co.uk or maybe order something uh, aviation related via one of the Amazon links on the site too. There's even a donate button on the homepage for those of you that would like to uh, help in a more direct way. Well, that's it for another episode. If you have any good ideas or would like to appear on, uh, on an episode, send me an email to steve at flyingpodcast.co.uk. And as ever, thanks for listening.